0: welcome to the progressive property podcast helping you invest in property for freedom choice and profit you'll learn new innovative and multiple streams of property income whether you want to start scale or systemize and even if you don't have deposits hi i'm peter jones chartered surveyor author and property investor and this is the progressive property podcast And today I'm joined by Andy Churchill. Hi Andy. Hi Peter, good to see you. Uh, Good to see you Andy. Now Andy, I really wanted to get you onto this podcast because I think we have quite a lot in common, don't we? I think you're absolutely right, yes. You, like me, are a Chartered Surveyor. I am indeed. And strangely enough, we both live in Nottingham or thereabouts. Or thereabouts, indeed. And we've been through the progressive system. Despite the fact that we're Chartered surveyors. and between the two of us, we've probably got a hundred years worth of property experience, so there's probably a story there which we'll sort of tease out as we as we go through. Well, let's try and do it. So, Andy, how long have you actually been in property for? If, if you're a qualified surveyor,
1: I'm guessing you've probably been in property all of your working life? I came to property slightly late in actual fact. So uh, I didn't do the, the normal O-levels, A-levels, university, go and do a job sort of thing uh, because I was, as some people call it, academically challenged. So, uh, I spent a few years finding out what I didn't want to do as much as what I did want to do. Um, Did a few jobs and then somebody suggested why don't I go into a state agency and the more I investigated it, the more I realised I needed to get qualified and I wanted to do commercial property rather than residential property. So the irony is not lost on me that I'm now dealing almost entirely with residential property okay. rather than commercial <laughs> property. But yes, um, even though I was slightly late into the game, uh, I've probably been doing it for you know well over twenty years now. Right. So did you go straight into
0: commercial property then? When
1: I did. Went, yeah. Yeah. And that was in Nottingham. It was. It, I worked for Boots for a number of years, so in retail, um, so doing estate management, doing rent reviews and lease renewals and all the little itsy-bitsy things that you do in estate management. And, um, and then progressed through, uh, I used to work for Orange after that, so I was mm. acquiring the planning and legal rights for the, uh, the base stations, for the masts mm. that uh, you see uh, all over the country. And, uh, and then it, it, I really felt it was time to get back to working in Nottingham because I was working in Birmingham uh, for a lot of, uh, at that point and uh, I went to work for a, a private practice and uh, I was working a lot for doctor's surgeries and that was quite good fun because uh, a lot of them wanted to put pharmacy implants into their surgeries and of course I was then on the other side of the table to boots mm. and they didn't like it because I knew what they could afford to pay for their rents and, uh, and that was good fun in, in negotiating and then it was uh, a case of a, a natural progression into setting up my own business.
0: Okay. Let's just put that on pause for a moment because without wanting to embarrass you, I want to loop back to this academically challenged, because I think that's a really interesting point. And for our listeners who are thinking about going into property, I think that there's a misconception that you need to be academically good to do property. I, for myself, all joking aside, I'm absolutely hopeless at maths. And sometimes when we're doing masterclass and I go up onto the stage and I've got the flip chart and I start trying to do basic maths, everybody just rolls around with fits of laughter. And when I say <laughs> I can't do maths, they don't really believe it because yeah. they think, no, this guy is yeah, yeah. a successful property investor, charter there, he must be able to do I can't. Yeah. It's just one of those things. Somehow or other I managed to get enough maths into my system yeah. to be able to progress. But yeah. like you, I'd say I was academically challenged in that way. So how did you actually get through that and what difference do you think that's made to your investing career, if any? It's meant I've had to
1: take a, a, a different course. Academia is not uh, built to uh, help people who have uh, natural ability elsewhere, mm. okay? If you're, and a number of people who are uh, very academically capable don't have uh, common sense, they don't necessarily have the entrepreneurial capabilities or, or, or other business capabilities that you need. Um, to be able to go out into the, the big wide world and do property as mm. we as we say it um, in, in whatever form that might that might take I think a, a lot of it is is common sense and uh, a lot of people don't give um, a, a lot of credence to to common sense and I, I think if you've got that and a lot of determination uh, Which is what I think has uh, buoyed me up over, over the years? Uh, I think that is probably more valuable than the academic qualifications that, that you know, some people have to do to get to where they need to be.
0: Mm, thank you. I, mean, I think that's just such an important point, but it's something we overlook so often, that to be successful doesn't mean you have to be good at school. And plenty of people who aren't that good at school find they actually flourish when they go out and do stuff in the real world.
1: That's absolutely right. Um, I, I was rubbish at school had a terrible time there. A lot of people say, oh, school days the best days of your life, and it was absolutely the worst for me. So mm. I have found that life has got much better mm. um, the the longer I've lived.
0: There we are. Well that's excellent, isn't it? Good. So for anybody who's listening who's thinking, well I can't do maths, I can't do property. No no no, you can do property. Absolutely. So there right. we go. Yes. So Andy, during this time you were building your career in commercial property, which we'll probably come back to in a moment. Uh-huh. But before we do At some point, you must have started thinking that property would be something
1: that you would get into and be good for you. Because I know you you own a few properties. Yes, my wife and I have got a a small portfolio. And uh, we started that quite a long time ago, Um, although most of it we've only bought very recently, I have to say, Um, uh, not surprisingly, since going through the progressive system and learning how to do it more easily. Mm. But back in the day, We bought a house with my parents and my father thought he knew what he was doing. So he and I got in there and we stripped it out and we did all the work ourselves and it took a long time and we uh, spent a long time without rental coming in, obviously, and with money going out and uh, all those lessons that that you, you learn to speed the process up and leverage your skills out that's what we didn't know at that time and that's obviously what we've learned through uh, progressive but we didn't know it at the time we 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 got it up and running and then we didn't buy another property for a, a long time so it was uh, it was only then you know when i read um the first two books that that rob and mark uh, wrote that i then realized there are easier ways of of doing mm. this and mm. that's when we then started to to really grow the the portfolio
0: interesting now risking the president of the Royal Institution of Charter Surveyors calling me up and telling me I can no longer be a member. It's interesting, isn't it, that you were a property professional mm-hmm. and it took you a bit of time to realise what you could achieve. Likewise, myself, I only really started investing in my own right once I was made redundant and had no other way. I remember ridiculous conversations at my office in London with my co-partners mm-hmm. who were telling me that as surveyors... We shouldn't invest in property. That's you either ridiculous. had to be a client or you had to be the surveyor. You couldn't be the client and the surveyor, old chap. Yes. <laughs> what well, yeah. a load of nonsense. Yes. But at some point, it obviously dawned on you, as it did for me, that this was the way ahead. Yes. So you bought the one property with your with your in-laws. You did the refurb. The big lesson you learned from that presumably is don't do your own refurb. Correct, yes. Yeah, yeah.
1: Same here, very, my very first project was a
0: refurb. Yes. I did the work myself and yeah. I can't do DIY. So that, that was a disaster waiting to happen. Okay. It's not like even, even as if I could do it. When was that, when did you buy that property? Oh my goodness, 20 plus years ago. Okay. I, I can't remember. And then, you, and then there was a gap.
1: Oh, a large gap, very large gap. Why, why was that, what happened? Um, because I managed it myself. And it, it, I, I knew that I needed to do it for pension purposes. Um, it actually, uh, we, we sold it mm. because it, it, it became a problem. Um, and, and I didn't want to have to, to manage it myself with running a normal job and all, all the rest of it. And, uh, and it was kind of good to get rid of the problem as mm. I saw it. But mm. I didn't know what I, what I, how I should be doing it properly. That was the problem. Mm.
0: Okay, so then you read the books by Robert Mark, yeah, and was that your first encounter with Robert Mark? Yes, it was yeah, and there must have been some kind of light bulb
1: moment go off, presumably. yeah, well, it was two thousand mm. and nine um, and and uh, there was so much common sense we're back to that that mm. that uh, that concept again, so much common sense throughout both of those books about how you can get out there and do it. Um, all of, all of my sort of academic uh, qualifications, including my professional qualification, which you have as well, uh, weren't gonna help me with that. I needed other knowledge and experience. Mm. Um, and that's by getting out there really and making lots of mistakes and, and learning from other people's mistakes as mm. well. Mm. So it was after that that we then started to, uh, to, to buy in earnest. Okay, so how, how did that actually show itself? What, what did you do? So we remortgaged. And then we went. Your own home? Yes. Okay. Yeah. We remortgaged our own home. Uh, we went out and bought another house. And I got uh, a builder in to do the, uh, the, the refurb and, uh, and then got a letting agent to actually get the tenants in and to continue to, to manage it. And I, it was one of those, as you say, light bulb moments where I suddenly realised there is a different and easier way of doing this. And so we, we've kind of gone on from there. Right, so how many buy-to-lets have you got now? So we stopped at seven because mm. what we wanted to do, well, I say we stopped at seven, that's just the buy-to-lets. We then went into um, uh, buying a few HMOs, but I've also sold those. And the reason why we sold those was uh, because even though we got agents managing them, I personally needed to input quite a bit of time and I didn't want to be doing that. And also, I know that I can make more money out of development than I can by running HMOs that's 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 our personal situation And so we sold them so that we can actually put the money that we got out of that into the development to help us start that Right, so let's
0: explore what you're doing at the moment. Mm-hmm. Then. Well, no, actually, let's let's not actually okay All no, right. let, let's, think of, <laughs> let's think about let's think about your encounter with Rob and Mark a little bit more. Yes, so you read the books on the back of the books, you then decided to go out and start putting together a buy-to-let portfolio. Yes. Which was far more successful than the first time. Yes. At some point, you must have come down to Peterborough. Because I remember seeing you on a yes. stage here about three years ago. Yes. Presenting, <laughs> which we didn't talk about as well. But you, you obviously got involved in the progressive trainings. and I did.
1: So uh, I did the uh, VIP for, yep. a, for a year. The 12-month mentoring course. Indeed, yep. indeed. And that was good because I met a number of different mentors who had very different experience and knowledge about the property market and investing and developing. Mm. And it meant that I had the benefit of lots of different people's knowledge um, com- coming in that uh, I-, I could then apply to my own situation. Now, during that, I also did... In those days, I think it was the estate agents course, I think it was known as. Um, I started off doing a, um, a, a, a it was a one-day thing. I think now you'd know it as, as Masopi mm. or, or something like that. I certainly did um, a course about joint venturing mm. and, uh, and then the, uh, the, VIP, the VIP year came to an end and I went on to what was then known as the grad year, which was mm. for more experienced and knowledgeable mm. investors. And uh, we had more access to Rob and Mark specifically during that year. And that was really a year where we needed to really just step up mm. and, and, and make it happen and take it much further. Mm. Now I say that I saw you on a stage
0: here in Peterborough, yes. which I did, but actually in the dim and distant, a memory is coming back of actually my first encounter with Progressive, yes. which was at the Super Conference in 2013. Ah. And I remember seeing you yes. on stage. And I remember yes. particularly noticing you because you were announced by Rob as being a chartered surveyor. Yes. So that's why... That would make that, the connection, That obviously. made the connection. Yes. So I, I, was, I was sort of sat at the back in yes. a little slumber, and I woke up and I thought, mm, who is this guy? <laughs> so that was interesting. <laughs> like you, when I first came here, I also went straight onto the VIP, the 12-month mentoring programme, And sometimes people ask me, well, as a Chartered Surveyor with all that experience, A, why did you do VIP? B, why do you need to be involved with Progressive? So I'm going to ask you that question, Andy.
1: Peter, it's like I said earlier, I always come to this uh, admitting that I don't know everything. Mm. Okay. And that's why I knew that I needed to come through Progressive and gain the benefit of the knowledge that everybody here had. As a Chartered Surveyor, you... Uh, learn very specific skills that help you in a very narrow band of of surveying and uh, there are lots of different ways of being a chartered surveyor as you will know. Um, I am a valuation surveyor. I'm a general practice valuation surveyor so there are um, other branches if you like. Um, So there might be you know quantity surveyors or mineral surveyors or and people who deal with all very different aspects of, of property. But that doesn't necessarily mean that you know how to go out there, search for a house, buy it, refurbish it, let it out, and, and all those sorts of things. And and coming through Progressive and coming through the VIP, the grad course, the other courses that I did, um, helped me because there were people who were in the industry who weren't chartered surveyors, Coming out, if you like, sort of um, poacher turned gamekeeper, or the other way around, whichever way you want to see it, that had that experience and knowledge which a chartered surveyor just doesn't have, mm. because you don't you don't you don't get involved in that in that world. Mm. So I needed to learn that, and and it was all good and useful stuff, which meant that I could then take a step up in my investing and and developing journey, if you like. And and actually now, although I have. Uh, the designation as a Chartered Surveyor. I don't do valuation work now because I'm too busy doing the, the development side. Mm. Well, we'll come
0: on to that in a moment. But, I mean, it's fascinating because when we do Masterclass, I have the great honour of opening the weekend Masterclass four days foundation course in property. And during the introduction, I explained to everybody that I'm a Chartered Surveyor and my experience in property. But the one thing which made the big difference to me, I think four years ago when I first came across Progressive, was the understanding that it all comes down to your mindset mm-hmm. and as a chartered surveyor being stuck in corporate thinking for
1: however many years has left its mark and it's something which i'm trying to now repair and yeah. heal it does leave you very limited in what you can do if you if you're stuck in that mindset yeah so
0: again for anybody else who's listening to this thinking well you've got to be experienced in property to get good at property Absolutely not the case either. No. As Andy's said several times, it's common sense. Yes, The principles behind property are very simple. Yeah. Now that doesn't mean it's easy. You've got to go out and do some work. But actually it's because we do the work that we make our, our money as property investors. So that's okay as well. But all of this stuff which we could use as excuses actually doesn't really apply. You don't have to be good at maths. You don't have to have experience. You just need to go out and do it. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So there we go. You and I are living proof that actually too much experience can hold you back. Absolutely. And I had the same problem as you. I had to relearn a number of things. Mm -hmm. And I had to forget some of the things that I learned as a chartered surveyor and relearn various things as a property investor and developer, uh, which I just would never have uh, learned within that corporate life, as you you call it. Yeah, Yeah,
0: absolutely. So around about 2009 you read the books, yes. then you went on to VIP and you started yep. getting involved in Progressive. Were you still working in commercial property at that time?
1: So uh, I was. Um, I I left uh, the day job in October 2011. Right. Did, it, did you leave it or did it leave you? It, it got to a point where I had to leave it. Okay. Um, so... so uh, it, it, without going into detail, I got to a situation where um, I just wasn't happy in Mm. the situation I, I was in and the only way that that situation could be resolved was by me leaving and so I was forced to make that decision. So I made that decision, I left, went out, didn't really know what I was going to do and I set up a deal packaging company and I went out and bought. So I guess I've probably bought you know forty or fifty odd uh, deals for for clients over two or three years, maybe. And um, and I managed the refurbs for those as well. So that's that's what I was doing over that period. And how easy was it to make the decision
0: to leave and go off and do? do something on your own. You make it sound like it's sort of quite a smooth transition.
1: What was it like in reality? It was one of the hardest decisions I, I've ever had to make until the point that I'd actually made it. And after I'd made that decision, I realised that it was the easiest decision that I could make. But I didn't realise that until I'd actually uh, mentally and physically made that decision and had that conversation and said, I am resigning and uh, and and they, you know, We made all the arrangements for for me to leave. And it was only after that that I realized I should have made that decision a long time before. Yeah,
0: that's so often the case, isn't it? I mean, I was made redundant in 95. Yeah. Oh, I wish it had happened sooner. But there we go. Hindsight's a wonderful thing. Isn't it? Yeah. But it sounds very impressive that you came out not quite sure what to do. Mm. And then you managed to package 40 or 50 deals for clients and oversee the refurbs. You make that sound very easy, but there must be a story there. How did you start doing that? Were you planning on doing that? Did it just kind of happen? Were you desperate and thought, what
1: can I do? What was going on? Well, I, I'm a fairly practical sort of chap anyway, so I, so I, I used what knowledge I had from, from being a chartered surveyor and also from what I was learning coming through Progressive. And uh, and I, I was also um, doing uh, some other stuff with... Um, uh, Rob and Mark on the mindset side of things as well. And so I realized that my mindset needed to change and I did change it. And what happened after that was I became more determined to actually make it happen. And when you're, when you're in a, a hole and you need to get out of that hole and uh, you, you kind of work around every which way you can uh, until you find the right way of getting out of that hole and that effectively is what I I was doing so I had to make it happen I had no other option but to make it happen and so I looked at what the various options were of of, of doing that I was fortunate at one stage to find find very early on a JV partner with whom I could work who had more experience than I did and I could work alongside them and and we had a good period of of working together uh, after which we we you know we we separated and went our, our own ways it was a it was a good parting um uh and i've i've always advocated good parting I, I i think that everything is for a season uh not everything is for for forever necessarily but if you are going to part always try and part on on good terms and i've always i've always maintained that with with every um, partnership that I've, I've had. So that was fortunate. It enabled me to get more experience in what I was doing. I then went on to do uh, a lot more on, on my own, uh, working for clients, and I just got more and more experience. And, and as you work with people, you know, builders and, and, and contractors of various kinds, uh, you learn from them as well as they learning from you. And so I found that quite helpful because every refurb that I did, I learned something more. Mm. I learned things that I shouldn't do as much as things that I should do. And we just went on and did bigger and bigger refurbs. Mm. Eventually, um, you know, going through HMOs and then then obviously we converted a pub and it was at that point I then realised we could do much bigger things. Mm.
0: So when you started, was that mainly resi?
1: It was virtually all resi, yeah. And how, how were you sourcing them? So I spent a lot of time going around the estate agents, I know quite a lot of people uh, in the industry. One of the things about being a chartered surveyor is over the time, and it was a long time uh, in, the, in the industry, I built up quite a lot of contacts. And so I was uh, going around all of those contacts and seeing who had access to property that needed to be refurbed, that could be got hold of easily. Um, and then also things like Progressive, has a network of people. Mm. So I started there and I built up my network and I went to other uh, property meets on on a regular basis. Networking has become very, very important. So there's the the sourcing uh, side and the refurb and then there's the networking side to find clients who actually wanted to buy those. Mm. And, and so putting it all together uh, meant that actually it became, you know, a relatively successful business. Mm.
0: Now, it's interesting that you started by going around the estate agents, mm-hmm. albeit you had contacts, mm-hmm. because so many people who I meet, particularly those who are new to property, somehow, for whatever reason, have this mental block thinking you can't find good deals at estate agents. I've found virtually all of my deals at estate agents. There you go. And not even necessarily the deals which
1: are sort of in the bottom drawer waiting for the preferred buyer, but just the pictures in the windows. You're absolutely right, Peter. This business, for me, is all about relationships. And uh, with whomever I have uh, been working, it's the long-term relationship that counts. So for me, I would spend quite a bit of time warming up that relationship, and then eventually you get to the point where you you find you're actually doing business mm. with, with that person. And it's been quite interesting because some people who um, uh, have done work with me, on a, for instance, a joint venture basis, I have found, uh, having asked them, why me? And they've then said, well, actually, I've been watching you for a long time and I've been just seeing how you act, what your values are, how you deal with people. Uh, before coming and, and, and asking me to to actually work with them which is is uh, is really nice of them to to have kind of done their due diligence on mm. me and found me to be a a good person uh with with whom to work but it's the same with the state agents it's the same with getting um investors involved i you know I spend a long time just building up those relationships and building building the relationships up to a point where they trust me. They trust me uh, because we have I have those values, which means they can trust me because of my knowledge and my experience will mean that I will produce a product at the end of the day which will benefit them for a long time.
0: Yeah, and on the flip side of that, your buyers came from networking. As you rightly say, there's the progressive community. I always suggest at Masterclass, if you're starting fresh, go around all the London network meetings. Mm-hmm. I don't know why i've not been there for years but i've been told there's lots of money in london so that would make sense to me but that's essentially what you're doing you're going around the network meetings, yes. and that's where you found your clients
1: yes absolutely right and obviously um you know in the East midlands nottingham where i am there are a lot of networking meetings there uh but i have spent a lot of time like you uh down in down in london and yes there is a lot of money down in, in london and a- again it one of the things that people don't understand is it's easier to borrow big money than it is small money, and, mm. and that's, that's explain. That uh, sounds uh, intriguing. But uh, what do you mean by that? Andy? Okay, so so what? One of my brokers with whom we work at the moment has come to me recently and said, Andy, uh, we want you to be bringing deals deals to us that uh, mean that we can uh, procure money for you, minimum two million pounds. Okay. If you're dealing with tens of or even a few hundred thousand, actually that's quite hard work um, to get hold of because of the type of assets and deals that are required to provide security for that Um, and the assumptions that go with that in terms of knowledge and experience of people who are dealing with those sorts of deals. If you're dealing with deals that are uh, much larger, you're dealing with investors who have a, a much higher propensity for risk and they are much more likely to lend. And when I say lend, I mean up to 100% of the, the deal. Now, I know there are lots of deals around the way you can get 100% lending, but actually those types of deals, the large deals, are much more likely to get uh, players involved who understand better the, uh, the risk and reward factor and knowing how long things take, what what's needed to be done to actually get that reward back at the end of the day and so it's easier to actually borrow the larger amounts of money
0: mm, interesting so networking is obviously a very important part of your business would yes, you say is. you're a natural networker do you enjoy networking
1: i love it i i am a natural extrovert okay. so so i i love going out and meeting new people and uh uh you know it, i love uh, speed networking for, for for instance so i i can tell inside of 10 seconds whether I'm going to be doing business with someone or whether I want to talk to them again. Really? On what basis? What do you look for? How they deal with me in that. In that they say that, you know, the first um, 30 seconds of a, an interview, as soon as you uh, come in, in the door, uh, the interviewer can tell whether that interview is over or not and it's the same for me in in speed networking in with inside those first 10 seconds it's their their demeanor and what they start with in in saying to me um, whether they invite me to speak first, for instance, or whether they just launch in with with uh, their own agenda, those those sorts of things. There's nuances there which you only learn over time, and you it's it's more the sort of what's unsaid more than the, than what is actually said. Fascinating. Yeah. So,
0: what would be your like three top tips for anybody listening who's going to go to a network meeting, maybe for
1: the first time? How should they project themselves? How should they carry themselves? What should they be doing? I think confidence is, is very important and I, I think um, for introverts that's really hard work actually but I think if, you, uh, if you're confident in dealing with people um, then you're more likely to get information out of them. So when I talk about confidence I don't mean cocky, what I, what I do mean is, is confident enough to approach people and uh, get them to open up to you. But also in getting uh, people to open up to you, you need to be asking them questions and finding out about them and making them feel uh, good about themselves. People like to talk about themselves. And, and if you allow people the time to do that, rather than just talking about yourself, you'll gain their confidence and their trust in you as, as a person and then they, they will hopefully understand where your values lie and, and you can then um, take that conversation further. Um, But also what I do is I'm very proactive in my my networking, so um, I will be scribbling on cards, I will be scribbling on delegate lists. So uh, if I'm going to a regular networking event, for instance, I'll go in, I'll get the delegate list, I'll tick off all the people whom I already know. I'll then look at all the people who I've not ticked off and I'll work out who is it that I need to speak to who I don't already know and uh, and then i try and get round to to find out who they are to speak to them if i don't know who they are i always ask to be introduced and then i go back to the people who i've already ticked and see who do i who have i not talked to for a little while who do i need to keep the relationship warm with and and so on and so on and and, and actually be fairly proactive about it a lot of people come to networking events and it's um, it's very happy go lucky and you know if they happen to meet someone, then that's very nice. But I think you need to be a bit more structured about it. So I, I am uh, structured in the way that I do that. And so uh, going back to the speed networking, um, if you've got, let's say, uh, 40 people uh, in the room, so I will, I will gain 39 cards, assuming I'm the 40th person, and I'll be scribbling on those as I speak to each person. I will probably have mm, uh, maybe five cards of people with whom I would prom- want to follow up. So it's then the uh, the coffee a few days later, isn't it? And it, it's always important once you've been networking to follow up people in, in one way or another. And that might be an email, a telephone call, and then meet for coffee and just see if th- that they're a little spark that you've seen there of a possibility might actually be able to flower into something um, quite beneficial for you both. And I do mean both. I, I think that, you know, every every relationship I have, I try and see uh, if there is something where we can have a win-win relationship mm. going forward.
0: So at the point when you follow up, do you have a deal in mind or are you just getting together to explore to see no, whether... not
1: necessarily. Some, some but t- there's something about those five particular people yeah. that just resonate with you and they're people you want to do business with. Yeah. Yeah, and for me, what's most important is the values. Mm. If they have similar values to me, um, then I feel that I can work with them on a long-term basis. Mm. So I'm prepared to take for- forward, you know, further conversations on that, and just see what what comes out of it. Sometimes, sometimes I might be seeking something very specifically. Sometimes I might be seeking to give something very specifically and see if it can benefit. Uh, a particular person and that's very important as well uh, it, it's it's not a um it, it's not a give take world necessarily as a as a give give world sometimes mm. and I find mm. that um, there are a lot of people who need something and actually it's very easy for me to give them something and that might be my time or experience or Um, you know some some help with something or other that I have that they don't that helps them on their way and I'm very happy to to do that um, because you never know when that will come Mm. around again Mm. which it does it does it does yeah
0: Uh, Yeah. absolutely so your story let's just get back to that because I know that something else happened along the way because I know what you're doing now so you were doing deal packaging yes You'd started on your own you've got a small portfolio Yes. You're doing okay, yes. but then suddenly the light bulb must have presumably again, I don't want to put words into your mouth because I don't know, we've not discussed this. Something happened which made you think, do you know what, I should be doing this for myself or doing this on a
1: bigger scale. Scale up is the, is the, is the word, and um, not just in terms of scaling up the, uh, the deal packaging, but actually changing the market in which I was operating. I realized that there was more profit in doing larger deals where I could do a larger development and work on one project rather than 10 little projects. My time would be spent much more efficiently and it would enable me to get into a market in which not a lot of people with whom I was at that time operating could could operate because they didn't have the wherewithal to move into that mm. uh, market and wherewithal What I mean by that is is knowledge and experience and the determination to get there and do it. So um, I didn't really have any um, projects um, on the table at the time, but uh, what I did have was connections through uh, Nottingham PPN. Progressive Property Network. Yes, Indeed, Mm. indeed. Um, And I was uh, approached by uh, Andy Watts, who... Uh, started up the Nottingham PPN uh, networking meeting, and he came to me. And he said, "Andy, I've got a great deal—an uh, office to to resi conversion. Uh, I reckon we could, you know, put a number of flats in here." I said, "Okay, great. Let's let's have a look at it." And he showed me the particulars, and I, I sort of laughed and I said, "Yeah, I looked at that a year ago. The numbers don't work." Well, the long and short of that is is that we are actually building that project now. And there's obviously a story between then and now, which I know you're going to ask uh, well, me to tell you. Well, numbers change, don't they? They Market do. Change, they do. Planning well, changes. Absolutely. Well, or was, it, or was it your mindset changed? Well, uh, I did know that I needed to have another look at it, yeah. and and the Andy and I knew separately, two separate directors of the company that owned that property. And we thought, well, it's been on the market for quite a while. Why don't we go back to the directors themselves mm. uh, rather than to the agents and have a conversation and see whether we can agree a deal? Mm. And that's what we did. And we agreed a deal which was actually £25,000 less um, to purchase the property than they, they had had as an offer from a, a, another party. And they still went ahead and did the deal with us because... They liked us, we'd created the relationship with them and they decided they wanted to stick with us, which was great. Mm. So we then uh, had to go and find the funds for this, where we had no money. Um, And I had, at the time, uh, been networking also with the Nottingham City Business Club and there are all sorts of different types of business people involved in that. One of them uh, was a financial advisor and he knew another financial advisor who had a number of uh, investors with whom he was working at the time, and he introduced us, and it's that six degrees of separation, isn't Mm. it? You never know who you're gonna be bumping into next. Mm. He introduced us, and it it just happened to be the right time. So we needed 400,000 to to buy this property, and they had Mm. 400,000 that they'd inherited and were looking for somewhere to invest it. Mm. So long and short, um, they lent us the money, we bought the property, and uh, then we spent a long time trying to raise the, the development funding. And we went to one source, and they, we went a long way down uh, trying to get uh, them to agree to what we needed, and we got to a point of realising they had lost the appetite to lend, so we then went out to a peer-to-peer lender, and that's been a fantastic opportunity for us. And as I say, we're now on site actually uh, doing that uh, conversion as we speak. Wow, so many points there. I mean, the
0: first thing that strikes me about that is that, yeah, things change. You looked at the deal, it didn't stack. Yeah, But things change over time, which could be the market, it could be the, the expectations of the seller. And one, one of the things that we teach at masterclass is you either want to do the deal very quickly yes. with a motivated seller, or you want to do the deal over a long time. And let the seller become more motivated yes. and that's probably a classic example yes yeah. but the other thing of course is your networking you obviously you weren't just networking with property people Correct. you go to business people and that's opened up a whole new
1: route for you to get funding yes it has pretty cool yes it has because we we realized that if we wanted to do the bigger deals the standard uh um, property networking event was was fine for for a limited number of deals, but but for the sort of money that that we needed, I needed to go and do business networking, um, which wasn't just specifically property property oriented.
0: Hmm. So now with Andy, Andy Watts, yes, host of the Nottingham PPN. Yep, you're now pretty much full time in development. Totally full time in in development. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And how are you finding that? It's great fun. It, it's 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 very good busy as I as I as I keep calling it. Um, we've uh, we found a number of deals, and uh, we are um, creating some wonderful uh, relationships with uh, joint venture partners and other investors who are coming in to help us make these deals a reality. And uh, we've got, um, I think we worked out, we'd probably got about £25 million of pipeline work coming through I recognise that not necessarily all of that will come through, um, but it's exciting mm. to have all of that as uh, as potential opportunities coming through to us.
0: And I'm wondering what a younger Andy Churchill, going back, say, <laughs> 10 or 15 years, when you were going around... Uh, negotiating base stations for yeah. Orange yeah. would have thought, looking forward to seeing you doing this. Is this something you ever imagined you'd be doing? No. You, even when you read Rob
1: and Mark's books in 2009, did you imagine you'd be going out well, being you ha- a developer? I think the point is you have to start somewhere and you have to cut your teeth on something. You have got to do smaller deals and get your experience on that and then gradually move up and do bigger and bigger deals. Mm. One of the most important things in terms of doing Uh, development is track record and funders will look at you and they'll ask you what is your track record. Our track record has grown nicely over the last few years and we're now at a point where um, we're able to do uh, larger deals partly because of our experience and track record but also partly because of the team that we've got around us and there is a skill in putting the right team around you to make a deal happen. Mm. And that's actually an important part of your track record as much as your own experience. Mm. So how have you done that? I mean, that's what we call the Progressive the Power Team. It is. How have you
0: found your power team?
1: Um, Again, through uh, a long time of of networking. And uh, I've been in the property industry, as Mm. we previously said, for a long time now. So I've got those contacts in the market. So in terms of uh, uh, brokers, I'm now dealing with a different type of broker because... I need the larger sums of money, and the brokers that were dealing with me uh, to do the buy-to-let mortgages are not the right brokers to to deal with the big uh, corporate finance. So you just need to create new relationships with the people who have access to that sort of money. So the brokers I'm now dealing with have access um, to uh, high net worth individuals, sophisticated investors, uh, family officers, that sort of thing, institutional investors, who uh, again, as I said earlier, uh, won't bat an, uh, an eye uh, about lending very large amounts of money. Mm. Those are the people with whom we we now uh, associate, uh, and it's just you need to move on in in you know in in terms of the people with whom you associate to make the new types of deals work. Sure,
0: and that's allowed you to scale up. It has. So what are your, what's your main strategy or strategies
1: at the moment? So, the, In progressive speak, what's your 70-20-10? Indeed, indeed. <laughs> <laughs> so we have we have three aspects to, to what we do. So we do commercial to residential conversion, and we also do new build, and uh, I can tell you in a minute about a fantastic JV uh, that we've created in, in doing new builds. Uh, as part of the commercial to resi we're also building for ourselves a little bit because we're building a service accommodation business so we're acquiring refurbing and and, and we prefer to try and uh, acquire and hold our own stuff although we will be doing some what people would call rent to rent stuff as well to mm. sublocate supplement- um, supplement the uh, uh, the ability for us to be able to run the uh, serviced accommodation side of the business. So those are kind of the three aspects of it, if you like, going forward. Right, and the deal which you spotted or Andy spotted,
0: although you both spotted, yes, actually. at different, different, times, different times, yes.
1: That's now actually happening. It is. The builders are on site as we talk. It is. We're doing uh, uh, our own sort of video uh, blogs, if you like, on, on that on a regular basis. All right, where well, can we see that? So you can see that on our, on our uh, website, uh, which is erlanpelham.com, um, or you can see it on our uh, Twitter uh, page or uh, my own LinkedIn page. So there, there are those three outlets. Earlandpelham.com, dot com, all one word. It is. Okay. It is. Yeah.
0: Cool. And what is it? What, what were you? What are you actually doing? What are you It's inserting? a
1: lovely building. It's a hundred and fifty year old Victorian building, which were the land of which was previously owned by the Duke of Newcastle, and it has a, l- a long, wonderful history, um, and uh, it had a, a really nice long garden in front, which is now covered in tarmac and being used as a car park. And the benefit for us, of course, is that once we've actually refurbished the property into 10 apartments, we can then go and concentrate on the car park and do a little bit of development on there as well.
0: Sounds like a very tasty project. It's very nice. Very nice. Very good. So tell us about the
1: JV. You've tantalised us. Tell us about the JV that you're doing with the new builds. The JV. So one of the things that I needed um, to be able to step up is a contractor. And I'm not talking about your Uh, you know, your jobbing builder who will help you very nicely with your small house uh, refurb for your your buy-to-let property. We're talking about major uh, contractors here. So part of my proactive networking was to go out and find uh, a large-scale contractor who would be prepared to JV with us and effectively uh, bankroll some of the uh, developments that we wanted to do. And I found uh, the business manager, the development uh, manager of of one uh, who is a local contractor. And I put our proposal to her and said, do they have the type of business that actually likes to do JVs with people like us? And uh, obviously some lights went on and she said, oh, well, I'll have to get you in and and have a chat with our operations director. We then had a a chat with with him and uh, he said, we've been looking for someone like you for two or three years. Well, there you go. You, mm. you, you can't have it better than that. Mm. Um, so we then had a, a another meeting. And it's interesting, uh, you know, for, for many years getting people investing in you requires a number of meetings you know you talk about the you know the the, the seven coffee meetings before people will mm, decide to in, the three in, lunch rule in, indeed indeed well it was a bit like that with with this so we we ended up meeting with the the group fd and one or two other uh, big wigs in the company and they agreed that the type of developments that we wanted to do were what they could get involved in and uh, we discussed about how Uh, uh, we could work together, what we needed to put in, what they were prepared to put in and the essence of it is that we have a site now where we're doing a 3.7 million uh, development of 10 houses in Nottingham where effectively what we've done is they wanted us to put some skin in the game so they said you chuck 50 grand in and, uh, and they said we'll chuck in the rest, well the, you know, the rest is uh, what they are allocating to it is two point seven million. Wow! And um, so they said, uh, how do you want to split the profits? And uh, we've agreed to split the profits fifty-fifty.
0: Wow! So, so you put in fifty grand. Yeah. They put in two point three million. Yeah.
1: But you're going to split it fifty-fifty. Correct. That sounds like the ultimate form of leverage, doesn't it? Isn't it great? The point is that they they need us, mm. and obviously we need them as well. Mm. But Uh, it makes total sense for them to do this because they had a turnover of £250 million last year and uh, we are a minnow by comparison. But they need us because what they do is they bring all of the revenues in from all of their divisions that do Mm. different types of work across the UK. And what can they do? They can either leave it in the bank and get something percent or they can invest it in our projects and we uh, never go ahead with projects that produce less than 20% return on capital hmm. so they they've looked at us and thought well I'd rather have at least 20% return than, than nothing so it's a total no-brainer for them to invest in us
0: brilliant well Andy we've got to the end of our time really what I was going to say very quickly is you're you, you're constantly looking for JV partners presumably for either financing or for deals yes if, if anybody's listening to this and
1: They'd like the sound of you and they'd like to invest with you. How can they contact you? Well, they can uh, contact me through our through our website, there's a contact page there, uh, or they can write to me directly at andy.churchill at erlandpelham.com. Erland Pelham. So the website is com, or
0: email you andy.churchill at erlandpelham.com. Yes. Erland okay, fantastic. So thank you very much. Being great to. Have you in today. Thanks, Peter. It'd be good to get you back in a year or two and see how it's going and see how you've managed to scale up even further. And maybe we should get Andy Watson, who's your business partner. Why don't you do we that? We might even do that sometime. Okay. Get him in on the interview couch and see what he has to say. So Andy, great. Thank you so much. Andy Churchill. I've been Peter Jones. And this has been the Progressive Property Podcast. And if anybody wants to know more about me, actually, I've never said this on any of the podcasts before, but you can go to my website, which is thepropertyteacher.co.uk. If you want to get in touch, if you have any ideas for future podcasts, then get in touch through the Progressive community. And uh, if they look like it's going to be something which will benefit everybody, we may well do it. Otherwise, I'll see you at the next podcast. Here's to successful property investing.